Welcome to the Access Effect podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Access Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, your host for the Access Effect and CEO of Access Entertainment. And I'm super excited to be here with one of my favorite brand people, Damon Brooke, who is a partner and chief creative officer for the O Group. Hi, Damon. Welcome to my show. Hi, Sarah. Happy to be here. <laughs> I'm like, welcome to my show. I'm so happy you're on. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm so in love with you and Orit since I met you guys. It's so funny. The reason why I loved having you on, I think my last luxury guy, well, not the last, we've had a lot of luxury guys, but I had the chief marketing officer for Versace on our podcast seasons ago. Yeah. Oh my God. It was, a, and then I had Isaac Zanu, luxury fashion artist on, and I, all we talk about is Lux brands and it's so awesome, but I'm yeah. obsessed with the O group. You have done a tremendous job with your partner or building this company, but I wanted to talk to you on the show a little bit because I saw a tremendous article in the Lux Daily. You're writing for them yeah. about like sustainability, luxury brands and leadership. And like, it's so awesome to have you on because I think we talk about technology and leadership and all this other stuff. But I feel like with NFTs and technology and how we're leaning into tech, I feel like nobody's really leading the brand Lex brand market. Cause I know it's all about selling fashion, connecting with luxury brands, but I feel like the technology in a weird way, and I'm a tech girl has almost hurt some of these Lux brands in the past year or two pushing NFTs and the whole cryptocurrency. And I feel like, you know, is this is a luxury brand market sustainable to adapt to that? Or is that something that was a really cool thing to do, but it's not quite the right market? Because not every market's the right market for AI and NFTs. But I feel like fashion pushed forward so aggressively since the pandemic. And I was kind of wondering how much damage has really been done in the Lux side? And like, where are we at with all this branding right now? <laughs> Sure. My treasure trove of luxury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's no, so luxury industry is pretty broad. Let's start there because for us, that includes hospitality, travel. Yes, it's fashion, but it's also jewelry and watches. It's also home goods and services. And what, um, which one is your favorite? Which one do you work the most in? And which luxury you know, industry is your favorite? So right now, I would say this past year, we work mostly within hospitality, jewelry, and home goods. Those are kind of our tone and well, a little bit in fine spirits, spirits, food and wine, but you know, a little bit of that, but hospitality, jewelry, and I would say home goods are our top categories. So they're pretty broad and our clients haven't been, I think, Yes, there are some people that have jumped into the NFT, some people that have jumped into trying to figure that out to be first to market, you know, within that world. And I think it's still Wild West-ish in the sense that they want to be there, but they don't know what to do with it. Is the audience there to support it? You know, I think that all of that's still being worked out. Traditionally, luxury has been very slow to adopt in any technology, right? There's very slow to open up direct to consumer sales, to open up e-com, to adopt with interesting new augmented reality when it comes to retail. So, you know, because it is a little bit more discreet traditionally, doesn't run the same paths that traditional commerce goes and more kind of mass products where they know that they can get a lot of upsell, they can get a lot of traction with integrating technology. Luxury brands don't depend upon that as much as keeping their relationships alive and well with their customer base. Yeah. So your so your chief creative officer, like for the company, I mean, what they were talking about the brand you how long have you been in the branding and creative space? <laughs> and give me a little bit about your like your trajectory, your lead up to this before I start throwing yeah. out so I've been in this business so long when I started doing it, it wasn't even called branding. So when I started working and my background is in communication design, which spans, you know, traditional forms of media 
And then when I first started working in, in the field of marketing, advertising, and design, the computers came along and kind of shifted the entire production and mindset really of using a digital tool. And then with that came the advent of the web and all things digital, including you know marketing and advertising. And I had a couple of positions within large ad agencies. I was fascinated by digital and I was fascinated by the interactive world as it relates to media and advertising. And I always joke that what I did at the very beginning was kind of like a redheaded stepchild because no one really wanted me at the table. They didn't understand when it first began what the value was for brands to show up online. And now, fast forward many years later, and that leads most of the budgeting when it comes to advertising and marketing. Most of it happens online. Do you think, um, like, do you think that this, this shift, like how long ago did you find this shift into technology, because I'm always about leaning oh. into technology, and I know from the music space, um, you know, leaning into tech way back, yeah. it did kind of destroy that industry. But like, do you think it's been the Lux brand, at least from the agency side, in your experience? Do you think they've adapted to staying ahead of new technologies to succeed to reach consumers to keep that brand loyalty? Or do you think? I mean, do you think it's been done the right way? They've missed the mark. They're embracing it the right way. I mean, where's your and where's your like you're kind of your feedback, your thoughts yeah. on this. I think that's an interesting question. And I would I would again go back to because the luxury industry is so broad, I'd break that into specific categories. I think fashion, maybe automotive, maybe that's it. I think those two categories, more so than hospitality or jewelry or even watches, are so concerned with how to use technology. And I think it's just because their space is especially crowded and things happen so quickly, especially in fashion, you know, things turn over so quickly. There's so much noise out there, so much communication noise that everyone's looking for a way to create that unique path to their customers and to create something that's going to have impact. That really has only happened within the past 10 years, I would say, where, you know, that focus has shifted into, you know, using technology for that purpose and and putting some real money, budgets and people behind those efforts. I love that you keep saying this to me. You keep breaking down the luxury brands. Well, I just say, you know, luxury brands. I love that you're yeah. like you correcting me that uh, fashion, auto, hospitality, because when we yeah. read about, you know, Vogue Business News and everybody's into AI and the metaverse, luxury brands, luxury brands is all they're saying. So people think, oh, luxury brands want to do this. But you are 100 percent spot on. Because, you know, I know the automotive space, well, when it comes to tech, the car connected, we used to work with Mercedes-Benz R&D. We know the fashion is different. But when I say Lux brands, I think the confusion is every brand is so, every, it's just so specific to each niche industry that I think where the confusion has been, oh, Lux brands want NFTs, Lux brands want this. And to your point, no, not all brands, you have auto, you have fashion, you have jewelry, like, we're not breaking it down. We're just lumping it in to one big bucket. So I love that you're kind of clarifying this. And thank you, because I think I'm making that same mistake. Sure. And I think that each industry has kind of their niche approach to technology. Auto has done an amazing job within, and that started years ago with customizing your build of being able to create custom builds with your cars and being able to see in real time a car that you were going to order. That's when you actually could order a car and it would show up within, you know, less than two years. But, <laughs> you know, now, but that was fascinating to me. And I think that they have led that market of visualization, a virtual creation of something, customization, which is a huge piece of the luxury, overall luxury mindset is the ability to personalize and customize whatever you have. Fashion has followed you and then, I think they've done a pretty good job with allowing consumers and clientele to go into their site and customize pieces. But fashion also has done something. There's many more needs for them to show up virtually, including, which I think is 
pretty amazing is the virtual influencers that they, you know, had created. So skipping the influencers that were flesh and blood, but going, you know, creating, tapping into these virtual influencers that were made up completely in a digital world that had their own following and persona. And some of that's, you know, cute, some of it's funny, some of it is, you know, I'm sure actual and real, but we don't have, we don't live in that kind of virtual entire landscape yet. It's about to happen, right? That world of, you know, a virtual reality where we're immersed in another world and there are personas and personalities and brands that actually, you know, live and breathe in that space. It hasn't really happened yet. I'm excited about when that does, but, you know, we don't know fully what that's going to look and feel like. Yeah. No, no, I understand. I just think there's so much going on out there. And I think when people focus so much on technology or trying to stay ahead of everybody else, they'll keep up with the Joneses and that kind of thing. They start to lose sight of their own quality of product, their own like touch points into the industry. I think when a lot of people get so absorbed, oh, I want to be the first one. I want to be known as an NFT person, this, they kind of start to lose the quality of what they were known for because they get so sucked into technology that's not easy to understand, but they just want to be the cool kid on the block. And then the product and service starts deteriorate. And that's what I kind of saw over the past two or three years. And I hate to use, I, I hate when we talk about the pandemic because we're so past that. But then I realized if we don't talk about the past, to understand where we are in the present, to understand where we want to go in the future, there is no timeline. So the first years one through five of what happens affects your six through 10. Every few years affects your, your next few years. So we do kind of have to still say the pandemic, but I feel like that's changed. This is a new world. It's changed how everybody's working and we have to understand why it's changed. And I feel like everybody did this land grab during the pandemic. They had technology got ahead of us faster. Brand buying definitely went down almost to a stop. Then it got impossible to get what you wanted in time. And I feel like the quality of what we expect as a brand has kind of tarnished a little for the tech and the, you know, the revenues and how to get back out there to get the people in the economy to start buying us again. So I think, you know, not the NFTs, I think they're trying to find a way to get that brand loyalty back. And I don't think any of it's been working effectively to where I think we need it to be, the brands want it to be, and the consumers are expecting the quality. Is that, do you think that's accurate? Is that just, I mean, that's my perception of it though. Yeah, I think that, that what happened during the pandemic was interesting on a, a bunch of different levels. I think that you're right. I think everyone was kind of using that time to figure out how, if people weren't showing up in person, how are we going to engage them? How are we going to keep loyalty into customers, how we were going to serve customers, you know, virtually, remotely. And everyone adapted, which I think is kind of interesting. Like everyone did kind of adapt to this new world order and what the new normal, you know, what that was like. And even, you know, how that's trickled down to, or maybe not trickled down, trickled up to the workplace and how everyone, you know, hybrid working is also kind of the new normal. But I am relieved to know, to have experience. I don't know if you had a chance yet to be in New York after Tiffany has opened their new landmark building, which is basically their flagship. And they spent, you know, it was coincidental that they were closed during the pandemic, but they reopened and talk about a very non-digital high impact brand space you know, where they've created a brand experience that's an entire world, but you have to be there to experience it. You know, you have to, and that's because I think jewelry is different than fashion. And in some cases, or typically, especially at a higher fine jewelry level, you have to, you know, people want to see it and touch it. They want to have that one-on-one level of service you know, with their customers. But next time you're in New York, if you have it, you got to go and see it because not only did they do a magnificent job of creating a branded, a beautifully branded space where every detail was thoroughly thought out, but the service level is off the charts. Everyone there has such a relaxed, 
comfortable, very modern luxury vibe when it comes to engaging with everyone. It's much more about a conversation and about meeting customers where they're at than trying to sell you something or trying to, you know, push you in a direction. And I'm relieved that that has, you know, come back full circle where we, that didn't happen for so long, right? During the pandemic, no one would go into a showroom or go into, you know, typically, you know, going to a a retail space like that. And I think that that's going to, I think that there's a sign of that resurgence of what's happening in person, you know, apart from what's happening in the digital space. Where are we now with all of this stuff? I mean, when you're doing all the creative, when you're creating campaigns from webs uh, to campaigns, are you guys, are you focusing heavily on the messaging of, hey, lean into the tech, let people know they could use technology? Or are you really going back to the basis of what made brands, great brands of product quality? Yeah. In the luxury space overall, there's a shift, there's consumer shift. Yeah. So now by t- in 2025, so in you know a year and a half from now, 70% of luxury consumers are going to be Gen Z and millennials. So uh, 70%. So an audience of much younger consumers than had been previously serviced by the luxury industry. And with that new consumer base, there's a big shift with customers, clientele that want to align themselves with brands that have similar values, right? So it's it's less about, it's yes, it's about the method of which they're communicating. So digital, virtual is important because younger audiences are more comfortable in that space. But along with that, it goes back to those traditional brand values and how brands need to reinforce their clarify what they stand for, and how that can relate to their specific audience. So we always go back to that. We always go back to, well, what are your values? What are your core brand attributes? What's your brand promise? And then figure out what the paths are to engage tactically with things like the technology or in person or, you know, it absolutely always goes back to what are your values and how can you connect best with your audience? Yeah, no, and I absolutely love it. I mean, I know I can't ask you this, but I'm going to ask you this anyways. Like, what has been your favorite, like, brand campaign, not just from the creative and aesthetics, but that you saw that really made a difference, drive revenues, or really impacted the brand or the brand's consumer reach? Well, let's go back to Tiffany, because I think Tiffany has done a really good job with kind of reinvigorating their brand, not only on our product level, but a reach in who is representing them. The, you know, the inclusion of Beyonce, you know, with their, as a brand ambassador, in addition to an amazing amount from Asia, from China and from Korea, they have a huge, they've done a really good job of globally of reaching out and creating ambassadors and conversations across the board with different audiences than they had traditionally. And I think that, that that's been really smart. Paired with new product development, new collections that are highly wearable. And also with that, leading the charge of jewelry being more accessible by men. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like on the red carpet, more and more men are feeling very comfortable wearing jewelry. And no... Yeah. Fine Jeweler has really stepped up to kind of owning this, the men's space, like creating jewelry for men. But Tiffany definitely is up there. They've been doing a great job with providing pieces, not only in red carpet, just for people that are interested in expressing themselves in new ways, you know, with jewelry. And I love that. And I think that we are entering this phase where things like those lines that were traditionally male or female, not only in jewelry, but also in, in fashion are shifting. They're changing. Yeah. And the brands that do a good job of understanding that and can really capitalize an audience and captivate an audience that is willing and able to go there and to purchase and to adopt, those brands are going to win. Yeah. Then we always go back to Tiffany's. That's funny that or interesting that you keep going back to Tiffany's. Did you work on the Tiffany's account at all? 
I would have loved to work with this <laughs> account. That would have been a dream come true. They've done really such a great job. I mean, every at every step, it's admirable to see them, you know, uh, do things. We're working on right now kind of the Chinese equivalent of Tiffany, you know, and it's some things, they're a big uh, Chinese jewelry brand. And um, the luxury jewelry market has for a very long time been dominated by the Europeans, right? So pretty much and even some English and Italian. So I love the fact that Tiffany is such a quintessential American brand and can stand toe-to-toe with any other global fine jewelry brand. I think that that's fantastic. And not only stand toe-to-toe, but like pushing on all these levels that I was just talking about. Yeah. So so it's no... The reason I bring it up is that, again, I'm just so impressed on every level by what they've done and and probably a little jealous that I didn't get a chance to work on any of it. I saw a thing on LinkedIn. I keep getting hit up. On LinkedIn, it was VP of Corporate PR and Communications for Tiffany's. Mm. Oh my God, God, that's the dream job. If I oh could, my gosh, I mean, yeah, do, I have, totally. do, I, do I do I have to move to New York for this? Uh, Can I do it remotely? Like, oh no, it is in house, and I'm like, okay, oh, that yeah. is an exciting opportunity. Oh, boy, oh yeah, yes. boy, that especially right now, dream job. Like, yeah. Yeah. High level dream job. I mean, it was that. Then I saw this other one that I loved. It was like uh, head of global PR communications for McLaren out of London. I'm oh. like, damn. Okay. If you talk about high end brands in the racing, I'm like, I don't know if I want to go live with a bunch of sparkly Move. guys or be out on the racetracks. But like, I both. Move the- east, Sarah. Move east. <laughs> I'm Do like, it. Move east or move east, east to London. East, but I'm across seeing, the pond. I'm seeing all these tremendous fucking jobs like are, that came, you know, that are popping up on my feeds. Like, hey, you're a perfect match. And I, fucking Tiffany's, man, I saved that for so long thinking, oh, do I dare do easy. this? And then I'm like, that would be worth the move to New York. Oh, like, that to absolutely. me, yeah. I would have no issue heading east to New York for that gig. You no know? question. No question about it. And then when I saw the McLaren one, I'm like, is this a sign that I need to move <laughs> further east? Because there's something going on there. And I have to say, I am not going to lie as much as I love PR. I seriously took a minute before. Yeah. I, I mean, I seriously thought like, this is a cruise ship. That was really interesting. If you talk about leadership and brands, so many people are making a shift. They're shifting to, they're quitting their jobs. They're leaving to go from, agency client side over yeah. the pond to stuff they've never yeah. done before because life is so short we get stuck in the same grind over and over and over and when you love what you do it's not a job and i get it's what we've yeah all trained for we've all been there for we've all been groomed for but you know it's interesting when you start seeing all these opportunities you start to really question why not why not make this move because i've seen people make this move damon i've seen them go from running major nba teams to amusement parks globally i've seen such brand shift and i'm starting to think you know what maybe that is what leadership is you know it is taking up doing what you've done as far as you could go impacting the people the power of the brands and then moving on to the next versus as a career person the same thing because I, i've got to say this does definitely give you something to think about on a day in and day out basis you know totally. yeah i think that's true you know i love the fact that i think that those lines are blurring or they're eroding the idea that you know you are in one industry your entire career right like that's you know what you know and that's what you do versus the skill set that goes along with being successful and being, you know, a good leader and being creative and being, you know, being innovative and being willing to be flexible. I think that that flexibility is key, the ability to shift and move from one to another, because I think that's what life is like now, right? Is the ability to, I think if you're successful now, you know, how do you adapt, adapt or die is the, uh, kind of the philosophy has always been the philosophy, but I think the pandemic, if anything, has proven that too, that, you know, people that have been able to adapt and shift and make something new 
have been successful and people that are stuck or feel like they can't jump, you know, unfortunately have been left behind. Yeah, no, I just, it's, you know, I, I always think shift is good, change is good, but I feel like just as fashion changes, you know, new models change in cars, I feel like we need to shift with the rest of the world when it comes to what they're doing. You know, and I feel like a lot of people don't, but, you know, we always talk about leadership and what's good leadership, what isn't good leadership, not just from which brands leading, but, you know, where's the power behind the brand? Who is that one person who is really driving and leading the teams to connect to where they need to? And so Mm -hmm. I'm seeing so many more people shift. And I thought that was just, you know, post pandemic for a bit, but I think I'm seeing it more and more now than before that people are actually realizing, wait a second. We can't get up and move. We can't shift. Yeah. So we see it a little bit differently. So we have our clients. Our clients are kind of split between family-owned business. So businesses that are, you know, heritage brands that have been around for a long time versus maybe startups. And it's always so interesting to, I think that those family brands where, where businesses have been in their in their family for generations are so much more conservative than those people in leadership roles, whether that's a startup or another company that doesn't have like a heritage profile, are much more willing to mix things up and to try something new and to lean into change. So it's been interesting, you know, at least from from an agency side, looking at those clients and figuring out like, how do we help inspire them to make a change. Yeah. Uh, we know that it's needed. It's easy when we're on the outside to say, look, you have to make some changes or, you know, you're you're not going to be able to compete versus, you know, someone inside a leader with a true vision to be like, no, we know that this is where we have to go. You're going to help us get there. Unfortunately, those conversations don't happen as much as I'd like them to happen. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it just, there's so much going on out there. Wait, so wait, how long? So let's talk about the O Group and right now, but we'll have a quick question before we move into the O Group. Which brand, I mean, I know you're going to say Tiffany's. I know you're going to say Tiffany's. I don't know why I'm going to ask you who you think is leading, but I mean, honestly, is there anything that you, because you write all the time for Lex Daily, right? Right. And more of your input of what's going on with the brand and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and I know, uh, was it Pharrell? Who just took yeah. I I swear I thought you wrote a piece on that as well or commented on it. Maybe I just saw LV attached to your Uh, name. I've commented over the years on on the brand, and they're a really interesting brand for sure to watch. And I think that being I think the Pharrell edition was and for the men's line was great. I think that it's I think it's super interesting. I love the fact that he was again talking about breaking down lines. I mean, he doesn't have he doesn't have I mean, he's a very little traditional fashion background. You know? he's, well, he's a, he's a, he's an artist. He has no fashion. I mean, besides looking good, you know, have the money to buy the clothes. He's not a fashion not brand at all. creative. So right. how did okay, and, and with all due respect, how did he get that job? So I'll tell you how, because I think what's happening now with, and this is across all luxury brands, what's happening is it's less about capital that people have accrued within a specific industry or creativity. It's more about cultural capital. And that's the ability to understand the shifts, the nuances, and the power of where culture is shifting. So I think it was a very smart strategic move for LV to bring in Pharrell as a cultural catalyst and to tap into things they've never tapped into before or have, you know, not as strongly tapped into. You know, I've read a lot about his show. I mean, it was phenomenal as an experience, inclusive, you know, diverse, interesting, multi-sensory, you know, kind of more bringing it down to a, you know, a less of a ivory tower situation where it became more common. I mean, yes, it was in Paris, but it was on the street in Paris, you know? And then I loved, I loved everything about that. I love the fact that they had music attached to it. 
I love the fact that his family, everyone was dressed in the new in, in the new pieces that he had created. I thought it was great. I mean, there has been some commentary about the actual fashion part of it yeah. and what you know what he did, but I'm not an expert in that field, so I'm not really feel qualified to yeah. to speak on that. But I do think from a branding side, genius. No, I just I do love that he's there. I just trying to figure out what he's doing there. You know, is yeah. it just inspiration from trying to reach to connect oh, to so the market now or? Totally. Yeah. To reach, connect, to uh, mix things up and to open up some new cultural capital that, you know, brands always need. Brands always need to be find relevancy. They yeah. always need. They're constantly searching for relevancy. And I think maybe the early vibes with the NFT and everything else with in technology is a way for them when they didn't know where to go, they go to tech, right? Like, oh, there's got to be some relevancy here. Yeah. And, you know, yes and no for a certain audience, for sure. And, you know, that has some cachet, but not everyone. I think no, everyone... I, mean, I get a lot of brands are trying to find very, that cultural attachment with a big celebrity or brand to come on board, be the face of, talk about it because they're going to attract a different market. And I feel like you do need to shift when things are sliding, you're not hitting your mark on finances, your revenues, you've got to always shake it up. So I've seen more and more of these brands migrate towards bringing on like Pharrell into yeah. these brands, not because they have fashion sense and they're doing a creative Pharrell line, but because they've got it, people who follow these artists, that massive yeah. influence. Hey, if I'm wearing this, that means all my people are going to mortify, you know, endorsed it or whatever and i feel like is that and, I, and this is all due respect to all the brands out there damien but it's that just like a desperate attempt to get revenues up because people don't have the same amounts of money because they all took a hit during pandemic and haven't bounced back or is this just or, or or is this just a new fresh let's get some new fresh culture in here i'm just trying yeah. to figure out yeah. where i don't I, I don't think so for I years you laughed at my question but it was relevant no no it is no, I'm trying to, because uh, I think it is amusing in the sense that for years, brands were only choosing, for instance, like models that had a super high social following because their thought was, oh, they then, because they're in this campaign or whatever, they're going to then, all their followers are going to think more of the brand. And I think that that's on some level, that's true, but it doesn't mean that just because I have you know, a couple million followers that they're going to automatically start like clicking on uh, buy buttons and start changing revenue. They might have more eyeballs for a period of time, but I think that that's less important than finding the right fit for the brand to represent it. And so Pharrell, I think in this moment of time is the right person to come along and to make that shift happen, yes, he has, you know, he's he's been known for his style and his outfits and his sensibilities, and he does have a, a remarkable following. But I think that I think less more and more brands are starting to realize it's not as important as they as they thought originally. You know, there was kind of like this idea that, oh, we're gonna we gotta find people that just have amazing following, and that's going to you know, make a huge difference. And I think that that's, that's changed, which is great. Yeah, no, I, that was so, well, why is this guy representing LV? He has no experience, but I, no, I get what you're saying. I, I just keeping up is it's shaking things up. It's so funny. Who's your favorite fashion designer? Can I go backwards in time? Do it, do it. Go okay. So I, I think if I was to go back 20 years, let's start there. I think my favorite was Alexander McQueen just because I loved his, both his irreverence and deep love of tailoring. This kind of back and forth of like uh, irreverence for something that was uh, precious, but also it had to be beautifully constructed. And I think that I love this attitude and the kind of bad boy darkness that he brought to the world of fashion. I thought that was amazing. You know, so he was he was an early favorite of mine and then now now thinking and i love different designers for different things i love stella mccartney because she is such a champion we were talking about sustainability 
there's no one in the world of fashion that's a bigger champion for sustainability and for green fashion. She's changed the industry entirely by practices that she's put in place. She is on the board uh, of the Fashion Institute to change how fashion is looking at issues around sustainability. The fashion industry is the one of the world's largest contributors to what's happening with not only greenhouse gases, but just landfill issues. And it's a well, it's just sustainable. A lot of fashion I'm looking at, they're now trying to promote sustainability, sustainable materials and everything. Yeah, absolutely. But then if it's just pure design, you know, just from a design standpoint, it's hard. You know, it's what I do love, and I'm and I'll think of a name soon, but I do love again how these lines. These male-female lines are blurring more and more. And menswear now, I think, is super exciting. If you look at the shows that have been happening recently in every major fashion city where they have shows, the men's fashion show is super, super interesting. I think Tom Brown is fantastic. You know, I love what he's been doing. I don't know if you saw at the Met Gala, you know, they had the thing for Karl Lagerfeld. Right. They had, you know, that was what the show was built around. It was about, you know, his uh, legacy. And Tom Brown, I think, did such an amazing job with he had like 12 uh, guests that he designed. And all all the guests, each one was unique, but each one was, you know, and he stuck to Carl's kind of black, white and gray aesthetic. And and each one of them lean into like a Chanel look with like tweed oh. and fabric. And I just I just love what he did. I think he's so brilliant as a designer and and also kind of changing, helping men think about how to look at their clothes differently, including shorts, because I love wearing shorts. So maybe it's just personal because uh, I think everyone should wear more shorts all the time. It is, it is also summer. So, you know, phases there. like, it's just, I just feel like there's some designers and brands. Like we talk about brands in general, the clean lines, the classic lines and looks that put them on the map that will never go away. I mean, they're endless and everything. And I, you know, I met with the head of innovation at Diane von Furzenberg. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, they're really struggling to figure out the metaverse, how to step up. So you see Gucci, you see all the other mates, you know, during the metaverse. Hey, here's a $5,000 digital dress. Well, you buy the NFT or buy the digital version exclusive. You get to buy the dress. So I think a lot of, I think they hit it on the head with what they were trying to do before everything got a little bit messy. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like some of these other brands were really starting to embrace post pandemic how to leverage and lean into tech to do it. But I, I mean, what I'm happy is that there's a few brands who decided, you know what, our time and effort is going to be to attract, retain and maximize the true form of how to build a brand, how to keep in front of your customers and clientele, how to maximize your exposure, how to retain customer loyalty. And I feel like those things were lost during the past few years because people were just kind of trying to see what's going on. So I do like, Mm. That some are our classic brands. Yeah. Never lost that touch of the Carl Lagerfelds, the Chanel's, the Von Persbergs, yeah. you know, Yves Saint Laurent. They've never really lost touch with what their customers want, what looks good on them, what feels good. Like you said, sustainability, the environment, how to keep turning out good, solid design, clothes, quality materials that people yeah. are going to wear and love to wear. Because at the end of the day, you can't wear an NFT or something digital out the door. You got to have clothes on, you know, and it's just how you look and feel. And I do love that some of these brands, and it's not just fashion. I mean, you have auto background. You're talking about the branding and stuff. Yeah. You know, we look at some of these autos, you know, Ford has like a two, three year mess with the Ford Broncos that are coming out. But then I look at Mercedes, they haven't changed from their body styles on the classics and like, five years. They're just trying to stay true to what their brand represents. I want to go back and talk about, because I think it is really interesting, still the issue of sustainability and how that shows up through all the different industries, jewelry included. You know, There are brands out there that are all finding a way how to show up in that space, including programs about recycled gold, You know, where some brands are focusing their touting 
you know, that they carry a large amount of their stock is recycled gold, how they're recycling gold. Mm -hmm. And also, and also the tracking and the providence of diamonds, where it comes from. Tiffany, uh, I hate to bring Tiffany up again, but they, but they have been, they have, again, been on the forefront of that, of being able to know, track where those diamonds come from. And even issues around lab-grown diamonds, which is a hot topic, you know, for some people, you know, is it a real diamond, you know, because it's made in a lab? Does is it really eco friendly? Because it takes uh, you probably know this, but it takes an amazing amount of energy yeah. to create these diamonds. So I mean, it's it's are they sustainable because they're not being dug up out of a mine when you use you know what can power a small city to create them in a lab. So I think that sustainability, I'm happy to see is not going away on any, and the same with auto, you know, everyone, every auto brand is, they know they're shifting over to electric vehicles and each, all of them are having, you know, trying to find a way in which that makes sense to them. So I think I love how the, and probably it's a little slow, probably could have happened sooner, but how the luxury industry overall is adopting more and more sustainable practices. I do. And I love that. And I, we've talked to a few fashion designers on the show and I, you know, their focus as of like least right now, this past year is not the whole chase down AI NFTs and all that bullshit that just was out of hand. It's not, it's just tainted. They're going into the eco-friendly. They're going into sustainable. They're, talk, they're talking about our future. They're talking about, well, like you said, the auto industry, everybody's getting an Evo. If you have to have an EV. Everybody's moving that direction. Everybody's talking about recycling, green. They're talking about, you know, clean energy. We talked to a few people on the show about how they're really taking the pollution, the smog, water, everything they can to turning things so it's more sustainable, reusable energy, because you have to look at our future and what we're doing to the planet. And I love that fashion, I think more than any, I think fashion and auto more than any other brand or luxe brand are the two biggest powerhouses that are moving into sustainable and eco-friendly resources moving forward. I really think those are the two that are striving to make the difference that most people don't know about. They don't talk about it a lot, but they've got to kind of pay more attention to those two areas because they're really leading the brand market into that. um, Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, I agree. Yes, I mean, it's amazing. So what's going on at the O Group? Let's just talk a little bit about the O Group. So I don't want to oh, okay. go without talking about that. Sure. Chief Creative Officer, you have such a tremendous brand background. Like, I, it is so impressive, like, because you really stay ahead of what's going on with the brand, where their messaging is, how they're impacting the markets and everything. What's going on that's exciting that you're looking forward to over at the O Group? Because you're now over there running the O group with your partner and you're still luxury brands and everything. I mean, is there anything in this past year or two that really impacted you that you saw on the brand side or a project? And then like, what do you think? I don't want to say make mistakes. We all have successes and failures, but is there (laughs) any brands that you thought, wow, that failed, but because that failed, we were able to see how successful it could have been and then pivot in the right direction that made a bigger impact? Huh. That's a really interesting question. I'll have to think about that one. But what's happening with us now, Most so most of our clients are global, right? So we do work all around the world. And uh, we just were working on a hotel in Finland that'll open this year. What's really exciting for us is we're working with this, I mentioned this jewelry company, this very large jewelry company in China called Chao Tai Fuck. And they are the largest jewelry retailer in China. And what's interesting, I think what's happening in China that I think is fascinating is all the luxury brands, all of them across the board in every industry was trying to come into China and to uh, show up in an authentic way as possible. But as authentic as they tried to be, a non-native brand is never going to have, you know, a true sense of local connection as much as a brand that was born within the borders, right? And can speak a specific language. So I, I think that 
there is now also within China a movement, a national pride movement about Chinese brands specifically. So I think it's going to happen. And not that anyone did anything wrong because, you know, they were, you know, all these luxury brands, fashion brands, jewelry brands trying to come in and connect and and create uh, revenue and um, trying to create some paths for adoption for this audience, this huge, very valuable audience. Because talk about the pandemic, they were the only luxury audience that had any kind of movement during the pandemic. And then now post-pandemic, when we're in our revenge spending era across the board with travel and luxury. And Can you just say revenge spending? Revenge. I call it brand therapy, but okay. Sure. It does sound a little violent. Revenge, revenge therapy. I like spending. So I do, what I do think is interesting, I think what this is going to happen more and more in China is there are brands that will probably wake up and say, hey, we have an audience here that we need to connect with in a way that we never had before, because more and more, I think that audience is looking for an alternative to some kind of classic Western brands that certainly are known for heritage wise, known for the luxury. But if there's an alternative and they are local, that that's going to seem, I think, be more and more attractive to that audience. And I I find that interesting, you know, that kind of like shift to happen. And, And why not? I mean, there's a lot of amazing heritage and legacy within China with craftsmanship and innovation with materials. I think it just takes the right leaders to bring that word back around to realize it and to put that into motion. Yeah. Okay. What brand campaigns have you seen this past year that you think has failed? Oh, failed. But it has any failed. Has everybody honestly taken this time to figure out how to do it right? Or are we still making mistakes? I look at them more as misses, right? Like, oh, that was a missed opportunity. That could have been so much better. You know, like that's, I don't, I don't know if they failed as much as they didn't take advantage of what could have been, you know, what could have been, you know, realized and, and done better, how they could have done better in a, in a different way. Because I tend to keep my eye on those things that I find inspiring. I don't think I really focus as much on those ones that were a miss. I think I just kind of, oh, well, I mean, do you want me to, there's one hospitality brand that whose campaign I hate that just is the worst. And I just think it's awful and I don't get it. And again, talk about a miss. So I've started seeing this. I'm going to look it up because I'm trying to remember the, it's a parent brand that owns a bunch of different hospitality brands. It's the IHG hotels and I, and their campaign is guessed how you guessed. And I just don't. Wait, guess how you guessed? Guessed how you guessed is the copy. And it's just off. And we're talking about, this is, you know, Intercontinental, uh, Kempton, The Six Senses, an amazing brand, amazing. They're, um, they're, they're a big hotel brand. How, guess yeah. how you, I'm trying to figure guess how you guessed. Guess what does how that you mean? guessed. Oh, just like, uh, that's a knife in the heart. Awful. <laughs> it means nothing. And then it's everywhere. And these, th- this is what kills me is these large brands that spend this crazy amount of money on something that is so inane and like doesn't say it doesn't mean anything, doesn't do anything to shift their particular brand one way or another. And they spend so much money on it. And it's like, oh, what a waste. What yeah. Just, too yeah, bad. It's so, hard. It's hard when you can't really connect with the brand. And like, you know, the big thing with a brand loyalty is the story, the backstory to the story where people's brand loyalty is an authentic understanding of the backstory. That's authentic. It's real. It's knowing where it came from, what's going on. So when I'm struggling to figure out what a brand actually is saying, like I, I just, my, my, I'm just like, I got to go elsewhere to a brand that I actually can relate to and understand. <laughs> guess how you guess. Guess oh. <laughs> I think they need the O group. They need to hire you guys on the, agree. the that brand messaging. Happily fix that mess for them if you want to, but <laughs> I think that's already been out there too long. Have you always been a creative guy? Like I love that. I do love that you see things from the creative standpoint because we could just go buy other 
technologies. We could buy and hire just people who could just code the back end, who could, you know, lay it out, run the advertising. But I feel like the creative, like I'm kind of a split on, I feel like the creative is really the most important thing, long as the criticalities of how to deliver the message is spot on. But I always wonder the chicken or egg syndrome is creative more important than the delivery in the tech websites, digital, mobile, print, or is it long as you have a tight delivery, the creative will come and follow suit. Is, is there a yeah. chicken and egg syndrome there? I think it's hand in hand. I think that it's absolutely, they have to, it's a marriage. And um, I think without the right strategic concept that's geared at an audience and unless that ball is passed on to a team that can execute to that audience right place right time right emotion you know right of uh, their willingness to hear that message or to respond to it and create rhythm and you know this sense of hearing it in the right time over and over again, like, just like I was mentioning, seeing that awful message of guess how you guess I saw it so many times, I will now avoid any of those properties, or I think less of that brand, right? So but if yeah. you do the opposite, and you after you know, and you can have a great message, and you have a team that can execute and show up and present it, you know, make sure that you're focused on the audience that you want to reach then yeah, it's magic when you can get those two things together, but they need each other for sure. And my, my focus has always been on the strategy creative side, not on the, you know, more execution, uh, conversion yeah. and um, adoption side. And, um, and we always say, we say the, you know, at our business that we have great partners that do that, but that world changes all the time. You know, that world is an ever changing, moving beast. And the people that do that need to keep on top of what the best practices are for that, where I feel like creative and strategy does change. But I think the kind of the core principles of getting at the uh, the heart of what a brand's about and um, is is doesn't change as quickly. Well, I think it's hard. I feel like when brand 101 again, I mean, think about look at Google. I mean, look at, you know, look at Instagram, I get. I mean, I mean, Google's my biggest one. I always pick on. You know, it. People think they must have a tagline. They've got to have some sense. They go between the logo and the branding. And I think there's so much. I don't want to say confusion as lack of education of the importance of a brand. Do you need to clutter it up? Do you need that tagline? Because Google, nobody knew what Google was, and there. I mean. Amazon. I mean, what are those names? I mean, it's it's all about the branding and the marketing that goes on beyond it. But I do think it's kind of an educational process. What is my brand, my tagline, my logo? I feel like people don't understand. They're separate things and you need one or two or three out of all to drive your message based on what your message is and the creative behind it. But like, I want to spend a few minutes talking about that before we end, because this has been a big conversation that's come up on the branding side. If you merge or buy a company, they already know what it is. I mean, hopefully they know what it is, but but think about it. Like, you know, you have a brand and a tagline then you have your logo and your logo is not really your brand. I mean, like, like break this down because I feel like, People want to shift and change to try to shake things up. But I feel like there's a lot of confusion and a lot of questioning on how one affects the other. I think we're doing it backwards when we're trying to rebrand stuff right now. Yeah, I think that you're not wrong in the sense that I think as things happen so quickly now, I think there's not people don't give themselves enough time to think through, you know, the impact of something. And I think audiences too, because their lives are so fast that, you know, I, I think maybe things just come at people so quickly now that there isn't a lot of time to stop and and think about it. I'm thinking of specifically what happened when you talked about the kind of merging of two things, thinking about HBO and their kind of merger and to create Max, right? Which is now it's no longer HBO was it HBO Plus? No, it was HBO Max. Now it's just Max because everybody right. knows it was HBO Max. Max and now you know it's just HBO, Max. yeah. Right. And how that was just like, it's so sad because 
talk about a brand that was so loved and like, you know, created a streaming space and then for them to switch over just to Max and to kind of leave that all the things, their sound, you know, when you started a, a, a like a streaming show with, with HBO and you had that sound that would go on yeah. and to leave all that, all that equity behind for something. And I know in the design world, everyone's just up in arms because their identity is so weak, you know, compared to where they were. And everyone, I think it was a scratch in their head about like, why did they leave those things that had such equity behind into this new world? And I don't know if anyone has an answer, you know, for that. But I think that that's a good example of what you were asking about, like what happens when you you know, don't think through things and you work too quickly, especially in an idea of a merger. I think that that's a good example of moving too quickly and not really thinking about where your equity is. But you, you have. Yeah. Do people really need these, all these taglines? I mean, can you effectively brand your company with just the logo? No, I mean, those are all just components of a brand, right? So it's funny, we've we've moved off taglines recently, I'd say the last like five years, where we think more about like a family of headlines that can work well together. We still need a descriptor line. So what is it? What is this yeah. thing? You know, and to reduce down to as few words as possible to describe the thing. But I think that I, I per- personally prefer a family of headlines that all work well together versus one single tagline. You know, in the day it has place, I'm thinking of like Nike, just do it. And that did a beautiful job of summarizing their brand promise. And their brand promise was about inspiration. It wasn't about their design or their technology. It was about how can we inspire every person to be uh, an athlete or to be their most, most athletic self. And just do it as a tagline does that beautifully, you know, and I haven't seen something like that recently that made me think someone's put some time and effort into thinking that through, you know, and I think that that era of brand building might be gone. I don't know. I don't know if that has passed. And I think it is because things just move too quickly. And I think people have to adapt to so many different platforms, so many different competitive landscapes that they didn't have before, yeah. right? So I think the world's becoming a little bit more intense. And I think with that, things are just moving too fast. So I, I will always try to slow it down and try to develop those things that I think have value, but they're only gonna have value unless people use them correctly. You know, if you're not gonna use them. But look at the McDonald's, what was McDonald's, how they actually, they patent or they trademark their line. I'm like, I don't do McDonald's. Um, remember what uh, it was? Da, 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 da. I'm loving it. Loving it. Yeah. And then they actually went out of their way to actually trademark. I'm loving it. So nobody else can use it, which cracks me up. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it seems not that specific, right? Yeah. But but it, it seems just, so general too. Like I'm loving it. Sure, yeah. Loving but it. I just feel like the, the history of like the, like, if you look at the history of brands and the power and effect of branding, from back then to where it's now and how it's evolved. It's just such a tremendous story of history of branding successes and miss, hits and misses, as you hits say. Hits and misses, you know? yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I think going back to leadership, kind of this overall theme that you keep going back to, it they're only successful, like we're only as successful as our clients allow us to be, right? And I think brands like big brands like that are only as successful as the people inside that are driving those you know, those efforts. And if no one's driving the steering the boat and making those things happen, it's not going to come together. You know, magically requires effort. It requires intention. I, I hope that that's not dead. I hope there are people out there and, you know, thoughtful leaders that want to continue, you know, thinking about things that mean more than a product or service. Like your brand needs to stand for more than just that, more than just those things. Yeah, it's the ethos of what you're um, putting out into the market. Oh my God, I love talking about brands too. Okay, how can people find you? If any, you know, for the marketing side, I know you're you're writing for Lex Daily, they can look you up there, but what's the best way for- Our website, which is uh, theogroup.net is our website. We could not get theogroup.com because that is by the Oppenheimer Group. 
and they are much bigger than we are. So they're never going to give up their .com. <laughs> so we are at the ogroup.net. The power of the brand, the ogroup.net. And then Damon, you can be found on LinkedIn as well. I sure can. Yeah. Sarah, what a pleasure speaking with you. So much fun. I just, I just, I want to have you on to talk about the branding. So I'm just the ethos of branding because you're so good at it. And I just, I, when I talked to you and I followed you, I just love your whole insight and authenticity of really the power of what makes a brand. So I'm super glad you took the time to come on the show today. My pleasure. Really. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to catch up with you again soon. But until this is Sarah Miller with Axis Effect. I'm with Damon Brick, partner at The O Group, theogroup.net. And Damon, thank you so much for your time. And we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Axis Effect podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Axis Effect podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit theaxiseffect.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.